Welcome to the latest edition of the Ain't Easy Being Green podcast, broadcasting to you live from beautiful, amazing, picturesque Crystal Lake Studios in Putnam Valley, New York. My name is Keith Fowle. I am joined, as always, by my colleague and co-host, none other than the biggest Jet fan in the state of Texas, Michael Lagaris, everyone. What's up, Jet fans? Mike's in the building and also joining us, guys, to help us walk through the offseason, the draft, OTAs, the minicamp. Paul Esden Jr., digital reporter for Heavy.com, otherwise known as what, Paul? Let him know what's up, man. That is uh, the one and only, the unmistakable Boy Green in the building! That's what I want to hear right there. <laughs> boy Green here! To help us out, we're going to chop it up about everything that's gone on so far in 2021 with the Jets, get his opinion on the draft, free agency, OTAs, minicamp, all the stuff we've been hashing up, guys, here for the last six months. We're going to get an expert on here. He's going to chop it up. He's in the trenches there on a daily basis. Now, we know, Paul, you report on the Jets. We know, initially, when you put your foot in the game, they told you not to sway your opinion. You have to be objective. You can't root for the Jets, et cetera, et cetera. But you still managed to overcome. You still managed to do your own thing in your own way. Much respect to you. And are they still, do people still criticize you for that when it comes to your opinion with the Jets? Do they think, oh, you're a homer or anything like that when you write your pieces? Absolutely. I mean, it all started because, so I've been a Jets fan for a long time, and I went to the first person that told me, because again, as I was going through, I was unsure. I had not seen anyone on TV or radio be like a diehard fan of a guy, but also be able to be on the other side of being able to be a credible, legitimate reporter. It seemed like they either just threw it in the closet, and every once in a while you would hear, yeah, by the way, I'm a Jets fan, but you don't really know. And uh, I go. To, I went to SUNY Oswego, so right in my backyard here. And Steve Levy, who a lot of you may know, he's on Monday Night Football now and everything else. He's an alum of the university. And he was doing, when I was there at, in college a couple of years ago, he was doing one of his bits like uh, six or seven years ago. And uh, I went up to him after, you know, his whole thing and said, Steve, I know you're a Jets fan. We never really hear or talk about it, but, you know. I'm a Jets fan, and I want to get in the media field, but, you know, I'm trying to toe that line. What should I do? And he said, hey, man, you know what? You could be a Jets fan on your own time, by yourself. Don't let anyone know. You're never going to make it in this business if you let everybody know you're a Jets fan because you, you have to be unbiased. So yeah. I took what he said, and I listened to it because, again, you, you know, he's made it in the business. Obviously, I should try to hair, you know, try to take what he says with more than just a grain of salt. So I thought about it for a bit, and I said, you know what? Screw that. I, I'm doing my own thing. And, again, nothing Hell wrong yeah. with great, and he's been great for this uh, uh, university, and he's been phenomenal. But I'm like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to blaze my own path. I'm going to be a fan, and I think, quite frankly, it gives me a different perspective than the rest of the beat, because the beat is just kind of objectively doing it, but I feel like as a fan, I'm closer to the team, I'm closer to the sun than anybody else. 
I yeah. should know. I should be able to criticize this team because I know exactly what's wrong. I'm right there. So I feel like I could both criticize and praise when good things happen. I got no problem jumping on the bandwagon and popping the bubbly. But on the other side, when something's wrong, I can be like, guys, look at this quarterback situation. Jeez, salute. Let's fix this thing. Uh, well, talk about the team. I feel like I could point it out and pick it apart. So while some people have criticized, I'm like, hey, man, you, you want some? Look at this Jet Zone episode. I was ripping apart the team over here. Hey, look at this. When they when they were in the AFC Championship game back-to-back, you couldn't hear someone louder on the table banging for the Jets. So I, I try to hover on both sides, but I, I think the Jets fan is what makes me unique and, quite frankly, the Boy Green nickname and everything, I, I think that's just been able to make me and the fans resonate and relatable, and I, I think that's Love what it. gives me my own shtick. We'll talk about the the hard times. You know, kudos to you, and then kudos to you for starting a podcast, The Jet Zone, getting into this during the longest duration of sucky Jet football in our franchise. We have not been good for over a decade. It hasn't been since the 70s that the New York Jets have been this bad. And so my question to you, Paul, is how do you feel now about Coach Sala and where we've come from, Adam Gase, which was simply the worst situation that we've gone through uh, in the last couple of years. How do you, what were your initial thoughts of the coaching process? What were your initial thoughts of getting, uh, interviewing Coach Sala, bringing him in the door, and then your feelings now? You know, it's a funny parallel that we just talked about that Steve Levy story, because when it became painfully obvious that the Jets were gonna move on from Adam Gase, and we were all just waiting for it to be official because it was kind of weird. At some point, we're like, they're not going to bring him back, right? Right? And then eventually he's fired, and then we know we're moving on. And how I connect that Steve Levy story to this is when the coaching search started, as soon as Gase was fired, the Jets are looking to, as Joe Douglas put it, they're going to be slow in this process. They're going to be meticulous. They're going to work their way through. When I first started to put my list together of guys, I started to do it around week 16. I started to reach out to people, try to put together a reasonable list of guys that the Jets could be looking at. One of the first names I thought of was Robert Sala, and he first came on my radar, well, a long time ago with the Seattle days and everything, but when he first came on my radar during this Jets coaching search is when he did an interview with Adam Schefter on the Adam Schefter podcast, and he was talking about kind of his history, his Michigan roots, and everything else. But when I brought him up, to Jets people and NFL people, they said, don't waste your time. The same thing with Steve Levy, no chance. He's going to the Lions, so don't don't even waste your time. He, he's not going to the Jets. There's other opportunities. There's zero chance to come to the Jets. Don't even put him on your list. And I went, I thought for it for, for a second. And I said, screw that. I put him on the list. I want Robert Sala on the list. This guy's energetic. And while I get the defensive thing, I think we harp on that too much as fans. I think sometimes we want, oh, we want the next Sean McVay. We need an offensive guy. What? How did that work with Adam Gase? Stop trying to force a square peg into the round hole. Don't just get an offensive guy, a special teams guy, defense guy. I don't give a flying hoot what his designation is. Let's get the best guy. And I think that's what the Jets got in Salah. I was super high on him on my top five list when I broke that out. When Adam Gase was fired, Salah was super high on the list. Again, for the for the four three scheme which i love personally and we can get into that later i just love the scheme i just love the ability to get after the passer and the jets have struggled to do that for much of the 21st century <laughs> so quite frankly i just think the four three scheme in itself 
is just better suited to get after the passer than the prior three force game which they ran for so long so i think that just straight up was better i loved solid the person i fell in love with them during the recruiting process of as they were going through head coaches the energy the passion was pa palatable so yeah just overall solid was the number one guy and i know that sounds like hindsight 2020 but solid was one of the top guys on my list that i really wanted for the jets i thought he was a culture guy that's what they needed you know, we mentioned the AFC Championship runs. Rex Ryan was exactly what the Jets needed at that time. They needed an injection of life. It was just boring. They had Eric Mangini, who was man-genius, but it was just boring. It was bland. It was blah. Rex Ryan put energy, maybe too much, kissing Belichick's rings and left and right. But guess what? We got AFC Championship games out of it. So I think Salah was exactly what we needed right now. I think he was the best guy for the job. Yeah, you know what I was going to say, too, is I, I wrote this down because I wanted to mention it, is that you know, Rex's last year, so Rex's last year, I think it was 2014. Then we have Todd Bowles, then we have Adam Gase. So people do harp on offense, defense. How about you just give me someone that can actually relate to the players, motivate the players, walk in the locker room. I'm not saying Todd Bowles. Todd Bowles has tremendous acumen as a coach. We all know that. But Todd Bowles was like a statue when he would speak. And I don't assume from what reporters I heard, like yourself, when they would report on Todd Bowles, great guy, very friendly. But I don't think you necessarily someone that's like, wow, this guy's going to motivate men, you know, in a certain way to play. That's not the guy that's going to stand in front of the troops and get you fired up like Braveheart when you're about to run in like William Wallace. Then on the flip, Adam Gase, I mean, his personality was what it was. I mean, it was as abrasive and it, it wasn't even as bad as in Miami, but he still was a douchebag. It still was someone that did not come off well in any type of press conference. Well, you know, always see my he knows better than everybody else as the, as the plane is just going down. Still, he's smarter than everybody else, smarter than every reporter, smarter than everyone in the world. I mean, that rubs people the wrong way. So, I mean, when it comes to Salah, the passion, the X's and O's he has, combine all that together, man, and just like you, man, I was excited. I didn't have him on the list. I didn't know enough about him yet. Just knew he was a great coordinator. But here we are, man. And we have him. We got Olbrick in the building now. We got LaFleur in the building. Brett back Boyer. So, I think the coaching staff is solid and probably better all around top to bottom as, as far as I'm concerned than any coaching staff we've had in a long time going back to Rex. So, that definitely makes sense. Uh, agreed. And sometimes, uh, Keith and Paul, you know, I love the term from uh, the dark night. The night is darkest before the dawn. And back when we were kids, right, the Jets were the worst under Rich Kotite, another offensive-minded uh, coach, right? And what happened? The following year, Bill Parcells, we had a decade-plus of competitive Jet football, okay? And this time, we had... You know, it, it, it just kept rolling and rolling. We had John Idzik and then uh, as the GM and then Mike McCagnin and then Bowles and then, you know, Gase. And it hit the bottom with Gase. I mean, guys, we literally went 0-14 for the first part of the last two seasons. Guys, we haven't seen a win in the first seven. Can just, um, just think about that for a second. <laughs> Not even one win in the first seven games. I mean, it is insane what Jet fans have gone through. And now it just set up perfectly because the Jets had the draft capital. The Jets had, you know, look, uh, getting Joe Douglas was huge. So Joe huge. Douglas had the, the, the draft capital, right? And then had the ability to pivot to getting and starting over at quarterback and that was very very attractive for a guy like robert sala so so far i'm really happy i'm excited look just be excited as a jet fan just you know everyone just wants to poo poo like oh what? just you know what scary. Jets, mike mike you know how it you know what it is and paul knows this too 
the preconditioning that goes on. Now we're we're old enough, all of us. We've seen torturous times for decades and decades. So you're preconditioned almost. It's like a puppy that's been beaten for two years, and it goes to a new home. Everyone's nice. They want to pet him, and he bites their hand off. Mike, that's what it is. We're not. We don't know how to accept the fact that we might be even successful. I haven't spoken to a Jet fan. Now, I know some optimistic Jet fans, Mike, you're optimistic. We've been accused of maybe being even too optimistic with the Jets. Um, but at the same time, same token, an optimistic Jet fan is still half less full to me, you know, when you talk to them. So it's hard. It's hard for us to accept all these moves. It's almost like on paper, the blueprint that Joe Douglas has done since he came. I know you missed the draft last year, uh, the previous year, but, you know, everything he's been able to do since he's come in, I mean, this is the building blocks for all these other successful franchises. And it's hard right. for Jeff Bezos, I think, to accept, wait, we're doing all the right things, you know? Right. And then Moses, and when you and you kind of create, you know, you kind of create your own luck in life, Mike. We always talk about this with the Yankees torturing us. And then, look, we, we, we keep moving in this positive direction with Salah. Boom, Moses falls into our lap. We did oh. a podcast two months ago, and we were like, you know, and we didn't know how the offensive line would shake out. We didn't know who we would draft. We drafted ABT, which is tremendous. But you know, always you look ahead and you say some of these veterans shake out of teams for different financial reasons, and that's that's basically what happened. Keith, can you talk to Paul about your thoughts of the free agent of of what we after we got our coach? What are your thoughts of free agency, Keith? High level, I know, and then let's get what Paul thinks about uh, free agency. Yeah, you know, and I'll go right to Paul, Mike, because we've been chatting about this a lot, so I want to get his his opinion. Our listeners have heard us talk about it for months, but. When it comes to this free agent class, now we're not known for having good free agent classes. I mean, we just whiff and whiff and whiff. You all know it's probably better than anyone. You've got a laundry list of guys. We just don't, and, and not like our draft classes are good either. I'm not saying they are. I'm just saying when it comes to free agents, it's hard to think of a really, really good lockdown. Maybe some second string dudes, but we just don't do good free agents. This year, when I look at what we did, more often than not, you don't want to just throw money at places, you know, too much money at a place where you have a hole. But I think not only did we do a tremendous job getting lost and getting Davis, obviously now we have Moses. Um, we brought a whole bunch of second-level dudes in, you know, like a Rankins, like a Vinny Curry, like a Tyler Croft. I'm not saying Tyler Croft is tremendous, but when he's healthy, he's played pretty good, like a Tevin Coleman. Um, even the next level of dudes, lost and Davis highlight the package, and now Moses, right? But even the second level of free agents, those second-tier dudes, I think Joe Douglas did a tremendous job there. And not only did he do a great job getting the talents, um, Paul, I think he did a good job financially when you look at the books, how much money we still have on the cap, how much money we'll have next year. I mean, I just, that's what, like what I said before, it seems like a lot of positives, but to me, free agency was a home run, man. Absolutely. And the only miss, and I will immediately caveat the miss with the reality of it, but the miss, of course, is uh, Joe Tooney, and because every Jets fan in their lives inked it in pen that he was going to immediately come to the Jets, it was a foregone conclusion. But again, you say it's a miss without knowing the rest of the story. Oh yeah, he signed with the Kansas City Chiefs and got all the money in the world because the cap is a is a magical mystery, and he ended up going there anyway. When that happened, so initially Joe Tooney's not a Jet. Ah man, that stinks. Oh wait, he yep. went to the Chiefs. Oh, the team that's just in the Super Bowl. Oh, uh. Patrick Mahomes. Oh, okay, he got that much money. Okay, I completely understand. So again, that yep. was a little bit of a disappointment because the Jets started off slow, right? They didn't sign Corey Davis immediately. They didn't sign Carl Lawson immediately. We thought the Jets, with all this money, were going to be throwing money left and right day one. They did not. The first sign they made was Jared Davis at linebacker. We're like, okay, yeah, uh, Joe, is this what we're going to be doing here? Finding some, you know, some crumbs underneath the couch. This is exactly <laughs> what we're looking for. And eventually, they spent $75 million in guaranteed money. Carl Lawson, he was my favorite edge rusher of the group. There was a lot of them out there. There was Judon. 
There was uh, Bud Dupree who went down to Tennessee. So edge rushers were overflowing in free agency, but they got the exact one that I wanted. And while the proven production is an area like 20 sacks in four years in Cincinnati, the analytical crowd loves him because he's on the precipice of bursting out. Yeah. That's what I love. I don't want to pay for what he did in the past. I want to pay for what he's going to do in the present. I want to pay for what he's going to do in the future. And the analytics suggest this get off the quarterback pressures the quarterback hits it seems like he's right there and he needs something to get him over the top and that to me will ultimately be this robert solid 4-3 scheme with jeff Ulbrich, and then getting him to that next level so he could be a bit more aggressive uh, in his pass rush set so again i love that i loved carl lawson i thought Corey davis was super underrated now to the average fan like ah Corey davis what the heck a former first round bust because he didn't live up to the hype as a fifth overall pick with tennessee but he's a perfect fit in this offense a play action tough son of a gun that's going to do all the dirty work and he doesn't care if he's doing the dirty work so i don't care about this wide receiver one stuff while it would be great to have that wide receiver one maybe we could have that conversation next year and see who burst out but Corey davis is the perfect guy for this team and you mentioned a lot of the second level guys there's a guy you didn't even mention who i love lamarcus joiner man joiner oh, yeah completely overlooked he's going to be a guy that is sneaky good a guy that i think could be an impact guy uh, for this team the raiders played him out of position for a couple of years yep. all the rest of the nfl said oh man this guy sucks yeah like, all right we'll scoop this guy up for three million dollars and then again i gotta give joe douglas credit because despite the fact he had a bunch of money he didn't light it all on fire he was he was selective and that's the joe douglas theme is he draws his line in the sand and sometimes that method sucks because robbie anderson walked out the door but sometimes it works when you look at the kind of money that he's been morgan moses look at the money the jets gave to morgan moses i don't want to jump too far ahead here but look at the look at the money he's been spending. Yeah, if they gave him it was three point six, and he gets five point three if he plays eighty percent of the games. So it's yeah, incent it's incentive laden, which is smart. Exactly, and yeah. you know you look at Moses' career, the the career average is over ninety percent of the snaps. So it looks yeah. like he's probably going to get that money. And even if he gets that money, okay, under six million for above average starting right tackle, okay, take the money, Moses, enjoy it, go buy yourself a nice Lambo. So, again, it's going to be phenomenal. So, free agency, I thought, was a home run on every level of free agency, whether that's first level Carl Lawson, Corey Davis, to the last level here of Moses here late in June, now in July. Well, I'll tell you this, Paul. Um, I think that when you look at a guy like Carl Lawson, you can get excited because there are other free agent pass rushers that are very similar to him. Take Shaq Barrett. Shaq Barrett was averaging about what? He had 50 combined tackles in 2015, 36, 37. He was getting, he you could see it, but he was in the wrong scheme there in the yeah. Broncos. He goes to Tampa Bay when he had 19 and a half, just let him loose. Todd Bowles, God bless him, let him loose, right? I look at a guy like Carl Lawson who has similar stats like to the, the very similar to how Barrett was getting there, but just, just wasn't the perfect situation. Well, guess what? Now he's in the right scheme with the right coach, with the right tools to just be that elite pass rusher. And this, we haven't had a guy like this since John Abraham, right? We have been waiting to have, and, and, and I'm going to tell you this, if the New York jets make the playoffs, if, they make the playoffs. It will okay. be because it will be because <laughs> listen, it will be uh -huh. because our defensive line is a top five unit. That's okay. the reason why we'll go. If, if 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 we make the playoffs, somehow the defensive line is gonna be elite. 
that's my yeah. that's my hot take and i do believe free agency i'm in love with free agency again Corey davis is great we invested in the in the we're going to get into the draft and everything like that but you know uh, as far as a route runner uh, with Corey davis his work ethic his ability to be a mo role model for these young receivers um and then being able to bring that experience to a guy like zach wilson and this team i think it was an amazing marcus joiner again great pickup you know he's going to go and play the position that he should have been playing the rams were kind of not using him or the raiders were not using him the way he should have been so i i just overall i think the approach was great he didn't blow his money on really anybody he got young guys who are going to yeah. be efficient who are going to potentially turn it around and Mo morgan moses you just had a piece on your last show paul amazing man this keith morgan moses during during um COVID, he retrofitted his own gym to be a, like a state-of-the-art sports gym and had his entire team essentially the offensive line come to work out during COVID, keith because you couldn't go to the nfl facilities oh this is leadership and, right no here. yeah yeah this is and, what i want to hear and check this out um so he was he would do that and then he would take real responsibility on the field so there was a play where uh i forgot the rams defensive tackle uh donald aaron donald, aaron donald got all over alex smith with the broke leg yeah and and morgan moses just ripped the offensive line <laughs> it was like what are you guys doing yeah we need to protect ass. our quarterback you see what i'm saying yeah those type of cats coming in these soldiers that is exactly what we want and i'm gonna i don't I think that he is the better tackle. If you guys look at PFF right now, combined run blocking, we have the eighth best offensive line per PFF for run blocking, wow. Keith and Paul. That's like <laughs> hard to wrap my mind around. Hard yeah, to wrap my mind around. But guys, I'll take that any day, man. guys, look at how much we're paying Morgan Moses and look how much we're paying George Fant. We're pay Keith, we're paying him $9.8 million to be a, a swing tackle? I don't know, man. I don't think they're gonna put him at guard, but a piece of me feels like they're gonna. Yeah, but Mike, you know what all you know what all kind of with. I understand man. that, but when they grabbed Font, it's just like it's just like before last year started. Remember when we signed Connor McGovern and we were all stoked about it? That's a bad offensive line was. That's how bad it was. We're like, oh my god, we got McGovern, who's just he's average, he's not bad. The end of last year he played decent, beginning of the year he kind of stuck. We were so we were like, me and you came on this podcast. We're like, we got Connor McGovern, guys. And I'm not hating you, Connor McGovern. You're tremendous. Now he's like an afterthought, right? Because we have so many other studs on the line. You know, like you just said, Mike, eighth best run block with Morgan Moses. I did not know that. I'll definitely check out that piece, Paul. Look at that. Because when he, I think he's the I think he's the oldest guy on the line now. I might be wrong. I think Mogus will be the, the the veteran on the line compared to all these other dudes. Font contract, Mike. It was just a, big, a kind of a circumstantial thing. We had all that money. We had to fill that hole. He's not good. They just threw the money at him, and they could probably get out of that contract if they need to. But to what Paul said before with Lawson, and then we'll get right into this draft real quick, Mike. Um, you, when you get guys, I, I like what he said because he's we're getting a guy that's on the ascent, right? We're not getting like when we signed, for instance, Muhammad Wilkerson. We signed him because of everything he had already done. Right, like Paul just said, he said, you don't sign guys what they already did. You want to get them kind of on. They're not at the precipice yet, maybe. They're on the ascent. And Muhammad Wilkerson being able all that money, it's just one example, right? And then, you know, it went how it went with him. Um, so Lawson, the guy before last year, he had only started three games in his whole career before last year. You know, this guy has started 14 games his whole career, has 20 sacks. So I know he's situational. Now he's going to play every, you know, he's going to be out there the whole game. So um, that's that's just like, I'm so excited about that signing. Oh, Corey Davis, all everyone you mentioned, and um, Lamarcus Joyner too. Man, we're gonna have a solid safety back there with our boy Marcus May. Hopefully, Ashton Davis can um get healthy and be back there too. But I'm stoked, and I was even more stoked, Paul, when we rolled yeah. into this when we rolled into this draft. Let me ask you before the draft, pre-draft, 
you're getting ready to watch the draft. You're writing your articles. You're talking to your boys about the Jets. Is it Zach Wilson in your mind that you wanted on the Jets? No doubt. You know Trevor Wilson's going one. You want Zach Wilson. You're not even thinking about no one else. There was a different conversation from when the season ended for the Jets, painfully. Uh, and I'm trying to pretend like 2020 just never happened. Like, I, I, I'm trying to get men in black neuralized from my mind and just pretend that, that that never existed. But unfortunately, I'm hearkening back there. Shortly after the year, when you're thinking of, okay, because we were conditioned last year, right? We're going 0-7, oh, 8-9, 10. No matter how big of a Sam Darnold fan you were like, oh, well, Trevor Lawrence, not too bad. Maybe that's the guy. Maybe touchdown Jesus is about to take over here. And then all of a sudden the Jets win those meaningless games. And you're like, oh, well, Trevor Lawrence, that was a nice thought. Well, I guess Sam Darnold then. Because we, we weren't thinking Zach Wilson. We weren't True. thinking, you know, Matt Jones. For right. We weren't thinking of any of those dudes. So at the end of the year, it for me, as we're progressing through last season, it was Trevor Lawrence or Buzz. At first, it was Sam Darnold because all of us are optimistic. I, I claim to be the most optimistic Jets fan on the planet. I always try to see the glass half full, if possible. I try to always say, you know what? Maybe if this and this and this happens, maybe it can happen. So I somehow rev myself back up, despite the 20 years and, and even longer than that of nonsense of everything that tells me that's not going to happen. I still go, well, maybe, maybe. So you try to get more of those guys in the room, by the way. But I, I try to say, you know what, maybe it can happen. But again, once you get to 0-13, you're like, boys, I don't think it's going to happen. I'm off the bench. Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> This doesn't look like it's good. So I'm like, Sam Darnold, I don't think he's going to be the guy. It's Trevor Lawrence. Oh, wait, we won a couple games. Okay, we're back on Sam Darnold. Okay, yeah. he's the guy. So when the season ended for a small time, I'm like, you know what, Sam Darnold's probably the guy. And then I start thinking about the contract. I'm like, you know, Sam Darnold can't be the guy. We need somebody else. So then when I reached to somebody else, my first guy I thought of, I'll be honest, was not Zach Wilson. I was a Justin Fields guy. I yeah. love Justin Fields. I, I think he's super talented. I, I think he's going to be a star in the league. So at first I was on Justin Fields, and I continued to talk to people around the league, and they kept saying, you know what, don't rule out that Zach Wilson. I was like, who? Zach who? And then I started digging in on Zach Wilson, and the more I saw, the more I liked. And eventually, by the end of the train, my sheep ass was dragged all the way to Zach Wilson. But at first, I will say, i got to be honest, I'm not saying I was on the Zach Wilson thing the entire time. I was on the Sam Darnold, and then I got off that train, and I'm like, Justin Fields is the guy, and I was on the Justin Fields train for a couple months. And then eventually enough people convinced me. I talked to enough people at BYU that brainwashed me to say, you know what, this Zach Wilson kid is special. He's the real deal. I'm telling you, don't overlook Zach Wilson. And after doing enough homework on him, I eventually went to that bandwagon when it became pretty obvious the Jets are going in that direction. Paul, before I, I speak on Zach Wilson, can you please tell Keith about the story of Zach Wilson in high school? Oh my God, I heard this story whispers. So I've got a lot of people, whether it's at BYU or just in general in college football, and someone said, hey, man, you know, you have to ask the high school coaches to try to get film of this. But they said, Zach Wilson one time, let me tell you a story. I'm like, hey, I love story time. Open Let's up the it. book. Let's get around the campfire. I love stories. So tell me a story. And he went, there's this one time Zach Wilson got outside the pocket in a high school game and there was a middle linebacker running after him. And most quarterbacks, again, they're soft, man. They wear a different color jersey. They don't want to be hit. They want to slide. They want to get out of bounds. So the middle linebacker, I assume that one of those things is going to happen. And Zach Wilson looked at him, winked, and lowered his shoulder and trumped the dude. And the middle <laughs> linebacker was flat on his back observing the star patterns. And then, <laughs> and then this guy got hit so hard that they had to take him to the local hospital. 
from in a high school game. So again, this Zach Wilson, the toughness. I heard some of these stories leading up, and that's what started to shift me from Justin Fields to Zach Wilson. I'm like, man, this kid looks like some sort of boy band, young dude. I'm, I'm like, this guy looks like I want to punch him in the face. And he didn't even do anything wrong, but I want to punch him in the face because he just looks like some brat. And then you know what? Again, the more you look at him, you can't judge a book by its cover. So Zach Wilson is a tough SOB. I've heard countless stories like that of why Zach Wilson go beyond the cover. Look into Zach Wilson. Love and it. Ultimately, Paul, when I did it, I fell in love. Paul, let me tell you, when in 2018, Keith will attest to this. He was the same as me. My guy was Baker Mayfield. That's who I wanted. That's yeah. the I did homework on all the guys. And I'll be honest, I didn't do a lot of homework on Sam Darnold because I just didn't think we were going to get him. Yeah, neither so did I. I, I just didn't think say, we were going to get him. Same exact thing. Just, when when we were at three, I assumed Sam Darnold's going number one. So yeah. I'm like, okay, I take that chess piece off the board. So let me just look at the rest of the class. Baker right. Mayfield. I was a Broadway Baker guy. He was That's my me one. too, and uh, Keith was too. We all were. Yeah, we you know, we're thinking the, you know, the, the flag planting the flag in Gillette Stadium. All of that. I was all on Baker, right? And I had watched all his tape, and I was like, oh, he's accurate. He's got the moxie. He's got the attitude. I love it. I was all into it. I was ready to go. And I was at the draft in Dallas. Wow. Okay, my boy, I got Keith on the line. I'm like, oh, son. And then I hear the Browns take Baker. I like, I step back like. Traumatized. I was yeah. traumatized. And then I'm just like, oh, man, the G-men. Like, what are they? And then they take Saquon. And then we get Sam. And I was like, I kind of didn't really want Sam in a way because, and I'll be frank with you, I didn't like the turnovers. And, I, and he's from USC. But I was talked into it, and I love Sam, okay? And I still root for Sam. I love Sam. He's a good kid, and I really hope he's successful, Absolutely. okay? Mike, you're, right. allowed, you're allowed to say he's right. stunk. All you right. can say All it, right. Mike. Yes, and he was You can say he's stunk. It's okay to say it. The last three seasons, he's been the worst quarterback in the NFL. You <laughs> understand that. But that very first game in Detroit with the touchdowns, oh. I was the happiest man. I was, Keith and I, you got to go back and listen to our show. It was, <laughs> we were going nuts, man. He caught the touchdown. Oh, man. So anyway, it's, you know, it is what it is with Sam. Yeah. But this year, okay, when when we beat the Rams, I that night was the bowl game for Zach. Okay? Wow, okay. That, that night was the bowl game for Zach. So live, I watched this kid tear it up. And I'm like, ooh. So then I turn on my YouTube and I just start watching. I'm, I'm like obsessed. I'm like, yeah. who is this cat? And I'm just watching all night, all weekend. And, I, and every time I'm I'm like, this dude is accurate. He has footwork. He, you know, he was making plays that you're just like, oh man, like, like just wow plays, you know? Yes. And so I fell in, and then I kept telling Keith, the Keith was like, Yo, like, I don't know. And then he's looked and he's like, yo, Mike, this cat, yeah. Like, and we had the same, basically, own. Paul, we literally had the same evolution that you had. Yeah. So yeah. we did everything you went through, all Jeff fans, I'm sure, that are in the know went through the same thing. But the one thing I'll say is that, you know, when the Jets won that game versus the Rams, which is, you know, it's so, what a strange position for us all to be in, to be yeah. rooting for the Jets to lose, you know? Because it's for, it's for our own good, right? Yeah. In our minds, like you're trying to be an adult. And then while the game is on, I can't, I'm not, I can't do it, you know? Yeah, um, we all know the drill, but like Mike said, man, I, I'm like, all right, I guess we're going to roll with Sam. I don't know what, maybe we'll trade that second pick, go down, get some more picks. Joe Douglas seems like he's really good at that. But we have the same evolution. Then Justin Fields played that bowl game, the game before the national championship oh, game. Against Trevor Lawrence. Oh. Six touchdowns. I'm at Mike's house. I'm in Houston. Me and Mike are watching the game. Well, all right, let's see these guys head to head. See what the story is. And 
He played tremendous. So the next week, all we tried to do to Jet fans, I know everybody was just ready to jump off the cliff at that point. Like you said, everyone was so set on Lawrence. Um, and for, for good reason, I understand. Trevor Lawrence could be a once-in-a-lifetime prospect, guys. However, still, at the end of that sentence is the word prospect. See how that works out. You never know. For the plenty of guys that are supposed to be tremendous. I know it's a sure thing. We'll see how it works out. But all we try to do is say exercise caution because you don't know how this shakes out. We might get Justin Fields. Maybe he's maybe he's a pro bowler for the next 10 years. Maybe this kid, Zach Wilson, at that time, who I was like an afterthought to me, maybe he's be the guy. Who knows? So as time went on, I think more Jet fans, kind of like you, warmed up to the idea. All right. Trevor Lawrence ain't going to be ours. But this other kid, he's a baller. And like you said, when, you come, when it comes to toughness, man, you can't judge that. You can't just judge that because the kid looks like he's a 20-year-old playing quarterback in a Hollywood movie, right. you know? Because he's such such a child, he's such a young face to him. Because um, because of how hot his mom is. Everyone's like, oh my God, look at the, look at the mom. Look at his dad. His, his dad, I think he's he's um, a Samoan who grew up in Honolulu. And then Zach Zach Wilson, he has that blood inside him too. Those people will people will battle you forever, dude. Forever. Don't ever question the Polynesians, okay? So don't question that man's toughness. And the rest of the picks, obviously, you know, we have we moved up. We got ABT. I mean, that was just, when we, we, yeah. we, we were hoping and, um, you know, we, we thought Penny Sewell would be go first, Penny Sewell did go first, um, but we were hoping at least here that we'd be able to maybe snag, like Mike wanted us maybe to try to get AVT at 20, and I was like, I don't know if he's going to be there, dude. Ended up getting him anyway, seemed like he was the number one guy on the, on the, the radar for Joe Douglas. Now, we're going to get into the whole offensive line in a sec, but I mean... That piece added to the piece with Becton, added to landing, you know, getting Wilson, and we got Elijah Moore. We go ahead and draft Michael Carter. This draft, by the time we finished the fourth round, my head was spinning. My yeah, head was and, spinning. And, and, and Paul, before you go on AVT, let me just say this. These these people who are like, oh, the Jets gave up too much. Look, you can, what, what's a third round pick? It's a third round pick. That's the value of it. And guess what's a third what? Round pick? Darius Stewart. A, That's a, a third round pick. Exactly. What's a third round pick? Darius Stewart. Come on, exactly. Man. And I could go on any roster and find an asset and I can trade that asset or person for a third round pick essentially. You can find it, okay? But can you find, how many Jonathan Ogdens can you find? Okay, how how many franchise left guard, left tackle, offensive linemen, each super players do you? So if you have a chance and you believe in talent and you identify that talent, you damn well go get it and that is exactly what Joe Douglas did, he is who I wanted. Keith wanted uh, AVT as well, and we got, I couldn't believe it. Go ahead, Paul. Yeah, I mean, this is going to sound great. I was more excited for the Elijah Vera Tucker pick than I was Zach Wilson. And <laughs> and part of it was we knew Zach Wilson was at number two. Yeah, but yeah. the other part of it, as we're going through the draft, and every time it's a position that the Jets wouldn't have addressed, right? So every quarterback goes off. I'm like, great, one pick closer to Elijah Vera Tucker. Yes, excellent. Uh, Justin Fields off the board. Great. Trevor Lawrence off the board. Phenomenal. And they just kept working their way up. I'm like, come on, get a little closer. And when they were there, I'm I'm saying I'm in a room by myself, and I'm like, God, trade up for Elijah Vera Tucker. Come on, man. He's not going to last, but he's within the range. He's in the vicinity. I was hearing whispers earlier in the day that said, hey, if the Jets get a guy they want, whoever that was going to be, I was hoping it was Elijah Vera Tucker. They didn't tell me that. But they said, hey, if it falls within the range, watch out for the Jets to trade up. And I'm like, okay, let's see who that is. And once ABT, it went 13. And I'm like, oh, baby, that's the spot where he could go. He didn't go. So then he was there at 14. I'm like, oh, my God. The I Jets know. And then when you get that, da-na-na, Jets, I'm like, oh, snap. They're oh. trading up for ABT. My fiance's in the room. She has no idea what's going on. I'm like, Elijah Baron Tucker. She's like, I thought that was an offensive lineman. I said, well, if you're a Jets fan, that's exciting. Yes. That's what <laughs> happen. 
I haven't been that happy. It's in Sanchez. When they yeah, moved up to Sanchez. And I was losing my mind, man. I lost my marbles. And then people were saying, I heard all this, not a guard. Well, two third round picks according to the data. It's a little bit more than, shut up. What do you mean it was a little bit more? I don't care about that. It takes the fourth round pick, fifth round. I don't give a flying who. How many third round picks have hit for the Jets lately? Screw your third round pick. I'm yeah. glad they didn't have a third round pick. Take your third round picks. Give me Elijah Mayer Tucker. This is a guy that people tell me, not only the safest player in the draft, someone told me pro bowler from day one. Hmm, sounds pretty good to me. And especially, and here's the biggest piece from people I talked to. They said this was a draft of complete unknown. We had the opposite of what we had the year before. The year before, we just got the combine in, and then COVID hit. And we didn't get any of the pro days. This year, no combine, but we got a bunch of the pro days. People told me this is one of the most unknown drafts they've ever been a part of. I'm talking to people who've been in the league for 30 years. Like the most unknown draft ever. Yikes. So what they told me is, hey, Elijah Vera Tucker was a known. If you can get a known a known thing you can move up for that as opposed to maybe taking a gamble in the third round of a draft that's completely unknown why wouldn't you move up for the known commodity and that's why you have the assets that's why joe douglas had these pieces to have the flexibility to have the luxury to say you know what screw this i'm moving up i got extra chess pieces to throw around i'm gonna do it especially at a position of need so people that are complaining and the nonsense they just don't know what they're talking about that's fine if you don't want to know what you're talking about go knitting on sundays instead of watching some football because football is in the trenches. So Elijah Bear Tucker, great move, loved it. I was elated. Yeah, especially like you look at Joe Douglas the past couple years. He put us in a position with all these trades. Some trades people don't even remember. You know, like trading uh, Williamson, getting these picks, maybe fifth round pick, fourth round pick, fifth round pick here and there. He gave us so much in the bank with picks. I had no idea why anyone was even stressing out about that. It made no sense to me. I mean, we were in a, we put ourselves in such a good position pick wise, capital wise, that I mean, that was kind of a no brainer right there. And another no-brainer was that Elijah Moore was still on the board, and we snagged him up too. I mean, Paul, I got so excited and I told Mike this. I know we have Corey Davis. I know we drafted Mims last year. I know Keelan Cole's been playing good in OTAs the whole nine. I think Elijah Moore is our best receiver right now. Elijah Moore is running four three fives and dropping nothing, nothing in college. This guy dropped, he caught 97% of catchable passes. That's like Wayne Corbett, if Wayne Corbett ran a 4-3. You know, it's just, he's from a different planet. The work ethic, as far as so far, you know better than I do. You're there on the ground, dude. From what I've heard, the work ethic, he's the first one there, last one out. Everything you hear about Elijah Moore is positive. Is this too good to be true? Can we be excited? It it, it seems (laughs) that way. Quite frankly, it seems that way that it's too good to be true because, again, not only have the Jets not had just a straight-up Pro Bowl wide receiver, they had it with the Brandon Marshall, Eric Decker, weird, unique, all the moons aligned here in 2015. But put that aside for a second. When you really go back, look at the 1,000 receivers the Jets have had over the last 15 years. Jericho Cotri in 2007, and then like Brandon Marsh and Eric Decker 2015, and that's about it. There's not a lot in there in between. So they've just found ways to make magic. If you look at the second round curse, Stephen Hill? Yeah. Stephen Devin Smith? Oh, my God. Oh, God. So Elijah Moore, I'm going to be honest, I didn't see it coming. Even though Elijah Moore was on the board, I thought it was an insane value. I'm like, the Jets aren't doing this. They're going to trade back. Joe Douglas moved up, so he's going to try to reaccumulate picks, make sense. So non-Jet. It's a non-Jet move. Yeah. It's so obvious to grab him. That's not what we ever do, though, is it? Exactly. So that's it. We've been trained the opposite. So I'm like, oh, that makes too much sense. It absolutely cannot happen. They're going to trade back or they're going to go, they're going to go something crazy. And then when they take him, I was just, again, just pleasantly surprised. Like, wow, didn't see that coming, but okay. 
And again, he's just, I don't know if a man could live up more to the hype than Elijah Moore has so far with just everything. The off the field, the on the field. He's just been insane. And to your point, it almost sounds hyperbolic that he could be better than Corey Davis or he could be better than James Greta, but he just appears to be. He has a swagger. It's not like he's like a T.O. arrogant on the field and just yapping at people, but it's just like, it's like he doesn't even have to say it. It's like Michael Jordan. He doesn't have to say he's the best. He just appears to be the best. Yeah. And it's just been absolutely insane. I don't know if I can put it more into words than that. Moore's loved up to the hype. Obviously, we got to see what happens. Before yeah. we put him in Canton, I'm ready to do that put the bust in and kiss the baby sign the autographs but we got to see what happens week one against the panthers but everything leads us to believe he's going to be a superstar uh, yeah absolutely and i know i shouldn't look at it like this but i do sometimes i look at the fantasy lens okay sure. and the new york jets never ever are in a fantasy conversation people steer away i'm reading fantasy pros okay i don't like sending keith stuff because me and him are in bit in competition but I have, to, competition. I have to, I have to send this to him because when I start reading about Dynasty and I see Zach Wilson and I see Elijah Moore and the cats are saying, yo, get this kid. This kid is going to be a breakout. And I'm like, what? Our boy, our boy is, is getting picked like a jet. And then right under him, Michael, did you see that CVS poll? Mm -hmm. Michael Carter is going to be the number one fantasy running back. For rookies that's a and let me and let me tell you something and we and yeah. we talked and we talked about this keith and i on this show if you look at what joe douglas has done in the draft and you look what he's done at free agency look at the players he has beckton phenomenal run blocker avt phenomenal run blocker right um corey davis mims Look at the look, just look at how they're building this thing. They're gonna be able to run the ball, even a guy like Ben Roden, right? And 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 Connor McGovern are better in this type of scheme for run the Y zone uh, uh scheme that we're going to be running. Michael Carter is all set up, and if this kid takes the number one off the rip, we could have something that and 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 as a prospect, honestly. He actually, for many people's minds, is better than his teammate there in UNC. So I'm really excited about him. I'm excited about Elijah, Ver uh, uh, Elijah Moore, Elijah Vera Tucker, Zach Wilson. And then on the back end, look, we punted on cornerback. That's just what happened. We punted on cornerback, and all he did was just start throwing darts, right? Pinnock, crazy talent. Awesome. You know, Nazel Dean, talent also, probably will play the will. You know, we'll probably see, uh, 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 um, what's his name, Eccles. Eccles, yeah. Pretty good. But my guy, honestly, is Isaiah Dunn. Isaiah Dunn isn't Ooh. as talented as Pinnock. Yeah. But to me, in camp, he's been the most consistent. I know he was undrafted. We paid him higher than any other player undrafted, I think, in the history of the franchise, I That's think. That's correct. Um, and so in I'm, the history I'm of football. So, in the, yeah. Is it in the history of football? Yeah, he got here. Let me give you this. He, Isaiah Dunn received the highest guaranteed undrafted DB contract in the history of football. So take that and your pipe and smoke it. So wow. obviously the Jets paid him more money than anyone in history. So they felt pretty good about it. And there was a ton of competition for Dunn after the draft. Wow. <laughs> wow. So and, and, and honestly, all and Keith and I were texting about this. All we want is one 
starter coming out this year. Yeah. One. One that we can live with for the next couple years. Because I know next year we're probably going to go draft a, a, a star or get one in free agency. Sure. So whether that is Bryce Hall, whether that is Bless on Austin, whether that is Pinnock or any of them, we need someone to emerge as that CB2 of the future. I hope it's Hall. I really hope it's Bless Austin. Me and Keith have had a debate. I hated Bless Austin's second year. But um, I, I, I definitely, I'll let you. What are your thoughts about the uh, about Carter and then the last uh, the picks? Uh, yeah. Again, to me, I'm a huge fantasy football guy. At one point, I was crazy enough to be in 18 fantasy football leagues in a single year, so I'm a freak. And that's, again, don't ever do that. But I, I did that and checked that off the bucket list. But I, I got to tell you, I'm not used to seeing Jets anywhere. Like, we yes. put out top 300s for some of my live drafts when I do them from pubs and do the whole show and everything. And we have, like, a top 300. I don't know if I see a Jet on the top 300 in any uh, given year. Yeah. I'm like, is that NYJ? Oh, sorry, typo. No, no Jet there. So... The fact that Zach Wilson, I'm seeing Elijah Moore, then Michael Carter, and then like experts in the industry going, yeah, that Michael Carter guy's a great steal at this point. I'm like, what? Michael Carter what? Jets, Michael Carter, <laughs> both Michael Carters, but yes. So I'm like, wow, I, I'm I'm you know flabbergasted. I do not believe. So let me tell this to all the fantasy people out there that I don't believe Michael Carter is going to be a day one star. I think Tevin Coleman's going to get the gig to start from the veteran, the scheme, the everything. I think they're going to give him the shot. Now, because his bones are made of glass and doctors have not uh, figured out a cure to solve that yet, I believe Tevin Coleman will inevitably be injured and then Michael Carter will take the run. So right. for fantasy people, if uh, if he starts slipping in drafts, just know, like, okay, I'm going to draft and stash. I'm going to put him on the bench. And then when week two or three or four hits, you're not going to get a chance for the waiver wire because he's ready to go. Michael Carter, get your cheeks in there. You're in my starting lineup. So I think he's going to be a late bloomer for fantasy, guys. I don't think he starts week one. Maybe it's week three. Maybe it's week four. And then you're going to get your pop. But it's well worth it in the draft because, again, the scarcity of running backs, how quickly they go. And he's going to have a chance to be a three-down guy for the Jets. Now, how they operate will be by heat. You know, whoever's the hottest they're going to ride with, will they just do the rotation? Because that's uh, that seems to be – even. Salah's not running the offense. Michael Floor will be. Salah has kind of dropped those nuggets and pressers to saying, man, it's, you know, there's always the Arian Foster who is with him during his time in Houston or Adrian Peterson or whoever. But those three down backs are few and far between dinosaurs, that kind of thing. So I think Carter will have a chance to be a three down back. We'll see if the Jets give him that opportunity. But I don't think it's going to happen until a couple weeks down the line. And then you mentioned all the corners. I, I was, again, I disagree with Salah. I, I would have signed a veteran corner. I, w I would have added, and maybe they still will, I had a training camp in a couple weeks. But it seems like he's going balls to the wall, and I respect the strategy. I don't agree with it, but, you know, I respect the strategy to say, YOLO, let's see what happens. And really, what he's betting on is not just the young corners, because, again, you can't build Rome in one day, in one year, in one single offseason. Like, you know, he had to, and as you put out, that's beautifully put, I, I don't think I've heard a Jets person this offseason put it any better. They just punted on corner. They said, eh, never mind. We're good. And yeah. so they're going to try to figure it out from that standpoint. I think I think uh, Bryce Hall, I think he's going to be a solid starter. I don't think he's ever going to be a superstar, but I think he's just going to be a solid guy for the Jets that's there for a bunch of years. He just holds down the number two corner. I, I'm going to tell you right now, the surprise of everything, and you mentioned him a little bit there. I think Isaiah Dunn, I'll even go a step further. I think he may be the starter week one. I said corner. the same thing. He could be wow. an outside. He could be a corner where, again, I, I think Bryce Hall is going to get his shot. Slot corner, I think it's a coin flip. That's a training camp battle. That'll be decided whether Michael Carter, whether Chaplin Gidry, whoever, whoever 
whoever steps up there or if they re-sign Brian Poole, who cares? But I think in terms of the outside corners, I think one will be Bryce Hall. I think the other, there's a huge chance it could be Isaiah Dunn. Some people are saying, let's see if wow. he makes the roster. I think making the roster is a foregone conclusion outside of some crazy injury. Sure. I think he could take a starting job, and that's going to be like, whoa. I mean, also, it doesn't say much because the Jets' corners suck, but I think he has a chance to jump right in there and make an instant impact. So, again, I know that's going to sound crazy to some people, especially for an undrafted free agent. The Jets love Isaiah Dunn, and he's been showing him well uh, so far in camp. Yeah, and you look at what the Jets have invested in that position the past couple years. They haven't drafted a guy above the fifth round. Paul was fifth round. I think what's on Austin was the sixth round the year prior. This year, we drafted Carter in the fifth round. But say Carter shakes out, wins the slot. Say your boy Dunn shakes out, and he's starting. You know Wilson's starting. You know ABT starting. You just drafted four starters. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't draft. I guess drafted three of them, signed one of them. But, I mean, you have a lot. Of, and then Elijah Moore, theoretically better than the year. I mean, I'm sure he's going to be playing almost every single down. The guy. He's not. He's not. Nah, he's a starter to me, too. So, I mean, that's a home run draft right there. If, if it shakes out like we're hoping um, at those positions. And... OTAs, minicamp has popped off. We went through those, and there was a lot of, to me, I want to ask you this topic. Me and Mike have debated this. Um, all these different positions that have popped up. You know, the, we know running back, a little bit of a gray area. We think Carter may take the lead there. Corner, as we just alluded to, it's going to be a competition the whole entire offseason. But wide receiver. Now, when we're talking about wide receivers here, um, Corey Davis got signed for a contract that tells you he's your number one wide receiver. So you say, okay. Yeah. You, Elijah Moore, we just spoke about how tremendous he is. They're like, this kid's a freaking stud. We re-signed Jamison Crowder. He took half the money. He's awesome, Jamison Crowder. So you're like, all right, Keelan Cole, what you're hearing is he was one of the best receivers in minicamp and OTAs, and they love him. Where does Denzel Mims fall into this? I think a lot of people have blown this out of proportion. Now, yeah. I think so many people are going, oh, Denzel Mims is running with the twos in May. I'm like, shut the hell up. It's May, people. For, I'm going to go on this Allen Iverson practice. Right? It's practice, for God's sakes. And I think really for Denzel Mims, and this is just a philosophy thing in football. There are some guys that are in practice when they're in T-shirt and shorts, and they look totally unimpressive. I'm not trying to crap on Denzel Mims. I just think that when you put on the pads, he's a physical, he reminds me, and he's a lot smaller than this, but he reminds me of Brandon Marshall. He's got that kind of game to him. The 50-50 ball, the red zone, the physical from the line of scrimmage. Again, he's not as big. He doesn't weigh as much as Brandon Marshall. He's a little bit shorter, too. But that's the kind of game I see. So when the pads get slapped on, I think everyone's going to forget. Wait, Denzel Mims is running with the Who's? I think, and again, I think the other part of this is the Jets don't have a true number one wide receiver. Corey Davis will get that from the contract in yeah, terms exactly. of being considered the number one guy. But as Michael LaFleur said in that 2021 uh, flight documentary, he's got a starting five here. He's got a couple of guards that can mix it up. He's got Elijah Moore. He believes, and we will see it, whether it's uh, put into action and practice out in the football field, he believes that Jameson Crowder and Elijah Moore can coexist on the same football field with crossers and all kinds of pop screens, bubble screens, and they can make it all work. Hey, Mike LaFleur, you've never called plays before in the NFL, but let's see it. You think it can happen? God bless. This is a quote, hashtag first world problem for the Jets at wide receiver. But I believe Denzel Mims is a... And I'll go Liam Neeson here. He brings a special set of skills that, quite frankly, no one else on the roster presents. When you get in the red zone, I'm throwing that up to Denzel Mims. Corey Davis is that tough, you know, possession type, but he can occasionally do that with similar size, but he's not that guy. Denzel Mims, they're also going to try to work him inside. 
What a mismatch nightmare. Linebackers are too uh, slow and corners are too small. Denzel Mims is going to be a chess piece. So people crap it on him and throw him aside. And then Fritz Semini just had this hyperbolic statement that I like almost lost my marble silver. He said that he's not even among the five best receivers on the roster right now. And I'm like, geez, a little, among the five what? best. I, yeah. So I saw that in a recent column, and I almost spit out my drink. I'm like, whoa, for God's sakes, people. Let's rein it in a little. Let's bring so, it back. So Braxton Berrios, is that a myth, I guess? Apparently. <laughs> what so the hell are you talking about, Samini? That's crazy. Again, so I'm like, Samini, I've had you on the show before, but Jesus Christ, man, let's bring it in a little yeah. bit. But to answer the question, I think Mims has a role in this team. I, I think starters are going to be somewhat irrelevant <sighs> with how they're going to rotate these receivers. Mims has a role in this team. It shouldn't be marginalized throughout this process. And look, if you look at last year, it's hard to really judge how well he played because of the offense, because of the quarterback. But whenever he played more than 90% of the snaps and he received more than five targets, he had above 60 yards receiving. Every time he had, uh, he had uh, 62, 71, and 67 yards when he was targeted eight, seven, and eight times, 96 and 90 and 95% uh, on the field. So when he got the targets and he got the snaps, the opportunity essentially, he produced. Now, I will admit to you, I do think that he would, this offense isn't built specifically for a guy like him, but smart coaches do not take talent and mold the talent into their system they take their system and mold it around the talent like bill belichick says i hate saying it because he's a cheater and every, i hate i hate i love what he says tell me what a player can do like i don't care what that what can you do well and i'm going to tell you there the one thing that he does well denzel Mims, is just his physical abilities there's nobody else on the roster that has his height and leaping ability, there isn't. So when we're on the goal line, like you said, Elijah Moore is not going to get th those shots. You know, neither it, it will be most likely Denzel Mims or one Chris Herndon. Let now, me get into one thing. Now, what? Now, one thing. We talk about say, the scrub. Now, one, now, one thing I want to say here, because Keith doesn't know, Paul Esden Jr. is one of the biggest. Chris Herndon fans. I, he's just trolling. He's trolling. I can no, already tell. Is, I can no, already tell is, from this he interview is. he's not serious about that. I can already tell Ball, from this Ball. interview he does not believe for a second in Chris Herndon. Ball. No Ball. chance. He's Keith, hey, Keith is so mad at Chris Herndon from wow. last season. Well, let me tell you, it's not just last season. It's it's how much we overrated his rookie season. Okay, Ball. and then his second season he gets a D. He comes back out of shape. He turns his hand. He doesn't even play. And we just act like that doesn't factor into an equation of irresponsibility in your career. Just a limit. Never happened to anybody. Didn't get a D-Wing. Didn't blow his hammy out and play. Missed his whole second season. And then last year, I don't even think he had 300 yards. And everyone wants to say, well, Adam Gase. Adam Gase was the coach. It, Adam Gase is the reason he dropped every single ball, it seemed, in a big moment on a first down. Boom, Chris Herndon dropped the ball. You know? Yeah, I think how many games did he have? Which, I mean, he was just so irrelevant last season. It's hard to be less irrelevant as a player. My people don't follow Jets. Didn't know you have a team anymore. They're like, Chris Herndon still plays on the Jets? Yes, he's on the Jets. He actually plays. He's a real player. He's a real player. And then this preseason, he now Mims, I get it, because I think there's so many receivers they haven't seen yet, maybe like a Keelan Cole, Elijah Moore. Maybe that's why Mims is with the two. Don't stress out about that. But her, Tyler Croft is getting reps ahead of you. 
Her and Bidia is your fourth year. That should not be a thing. That was alarming to me, Paul. That Herndon was running with the twos and all these bad reports and this and that. I'm not saying you know better than I do. I haven't been there every single day. Convince me, please. Please change my mind on Chris Herndon. Yeah, I will say, and your buddy's right there. I am the biggest Chris Herndon fan left on the bandwagon. I'm going to be honest. I'm looking around, and there's not a lot of people left on the bandwagon. I, 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 I'm like, hey, guys, are we ready to go? No one else is on the train. So. Again, streaking. <laughs> and I will say that I have, you know, once you're this deep on a player, because last year I couldn't have been more wrong. I said heading into this year, and I, I was talking with all the other AFC East big wigs that put me on their show, and I'm like, Chris Herndon's about to become one of the best young tight ends in football. I did say that. That is out there in the ethos. If you Google it and look it up, that's somewhere out there. Well, okay, uh, no, uh, real quick, I know. You yeah. know why? I traded Chris Herndon uh, for Chris Herndon. I traded away Darren Waller. Listening. Oh, to oh, yeah. In a dynasty, in a dynasty league, bro. Oh, oh, a, a oh I listen to you, Paul. 19... I listen to you, Paul. I, you, I listened to you, and I was like so amped, so amped, and I freaking traded him, Darren Waller. Away. Oh boy, a full I'm team, so a full That's... team. Full team, 16-man keeper league. Okay? Oh, that's brutal. That occurred. That's... And the ramifications of that trade tortured him the entire season. Yeah, that's... that's... So, that, that's, that's besides the point when it comes to real life. Um, yeah. I, I know plenty of guys have had... His physical tools when he came in were tremendous. His rookie season was not that bad. Don't get me wrong. Not that many times. I think he had the most, maybe the most receiving yards or second most of any tight end that year of the rookies. Kudos to you. It's just since then, since then, it, it's hard to get behind him. And I understand if you're all in, I get it, man. I've had players like that. I know how it is, dude. Um, and maybe this year, he, sh he should how his how thin our tight end position is. I mean, he should just lock it down, I would think. You know, I, yeah. I want to hear more positive things, basically. You know, that's what I want, Paul. Well, before I get there, I will tell you a random fantasy story to try to match your horribleness. So maybe they'll make you feel better about yourself, about me making myself sound horrible. But a bunch of years ago, I did this uh, NFL.com media draft. And then on one of the last rounds, my computer freezed up and it auto-drafted. I'm like, son of a gun, I hate auto-draft. And that sucks. And then as I'm getting ready for week one, I look at my roster and I'm like, who the hell is Arian Foster? I'm like, let me cut that dude. And week one against the Colts, he goes off for like 250 yards and three touchdowns. That was before Arian Foster arrived on the scene. I just saw it in my roster for no reason whatsoever. I'm like, Arian Foster, who's that? Let me cut that guy and just create a roster spot. And he blows Oof. up and his career turns uh. in. Then I finished like dead last in the league, and it just—I I felt God. I that hurts. That hurts. That's uh, one of the worst stories I have. So hopefully that makes you feel better. Probably not, because that—that uh, that sounds horrible. Earned it for Waller. But anywho, but uh, again, I feel great about Chris. Or, or, or excuse me, I felt great about Chris Turner for all that time. But after digging in on the Chris Turner story, I feel you last year again. I, I told, I talked him up to everybody that would listen, and unfortunately, some people listen too much. That Herndon was going to be this star. He's going to break out, and not only did he drop passes like how many titans fumble as routinely as christian oh. fumble i didn't even like i don't even know what the stats are for titans that fumble but herndon was fumbling dropping passes and then you'd see the occasional thing that we see in practice one-handed obj yeah. snack i'm like whoa whoa did everyone just see that in the room chris herndon and he's had enough of those where i'm like he's kept me on the edge of my seat and then they bring you back in you're on the you're like ah man oh, oh whoa okay and i've just seen enough of those well i just I, I'm in love, uh, and that's a thing that maybe I'm more into him than he's into me, and maybe he's just like, dude, it's not happening. But I'm like, oh, there was that one chance where she said I love you in one of those early dates. So I've just been on it. 
But I'll tell you the thing that, and this is last chance, obviously. It's the last year of his deal. And uh, he just went to tight end U. I did a whole uh, report on that about going to tight end U. 49 tight ends were invited, especially this brand new camp for George Kittle and Travis Kelsey. Also, Greg Olson was there. And they invited him to this camp. And the things that I love, and uh, just uh, I'll do a quick story on it, is that Chris Herndon, they brought these guys into the film room. George Kittle and Travis Kelsey explained how they broke, created separation, got into the intricacies of the game. And immediately from the film room, they brought Herndon out and they started showing him, hey, man, this is what you do against this formation schematically when you're facing zone, when you're facing man. Here's what you can do. Here's some little tricks that we can show you. And the fact that he's just, to me, taking his game so seriously to me, because again, he could have easily just said, screw this. We've seen, Ja'Kai Polite is the example I used on the podcast a couple weeks back saying, look at Ja'Kai Polite. He was served an NFL career at a silver platter. He's like, yeah, I'm good, and flipped the plate off the table. Yep. So like, when I see a guy like Chris Herndon, who again, obviously, uh, some of it self-inflicted. He got into his own head. He was de- battling some mental demons last year that really set him over the edge. But the thing to me that stands out is he's trying to do the best he can, and the fact of the matter is this Michael Floor system. We've seen George Kittle. Now, I'm not trying to put George Kittle expectations on Chris Herndon because I did that last year and we saw what happened. So I'm going to set the bar a little bit lower this time. But the fact of what he could do in this offense and the fact that you just said, look at the rest of the Daniel Brown, Ryan, Griffin, Tyler, Rob, Kenny, Yaboa, even as high as I am about Yaboa. You want to I like Yaboa too. For, good, for God's sake. And, and Herndon can, and Herndon right. can block. And Herndon can he block. Can. Yeah. That and he can do. Block. And that's what he did. If you look at the analytics last year, you go to the advanced stats. Herndon was actually blocking a ton last year, and and that was kind of a criticism of Gage, too, that he didn't even have the opportunity to go catch passes. So yeah. as a general fan, he looked like he wasn't doing anything, but the blocking he was doing. So, again, I know block. that doesn't titillate fans. And Gase, uh, Gase did the same thing. Team, but, yeah. yeah, Gase did the same thing with Kaseki in Miami. They, they drafted a pass-catching tight end, and he had him block the whole with And then, <laughs> guess what, as soon as he leaves, and then we see the whole Gase roster. Wow, Kaseki, that guy's pretty athletic, pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> No shit. Okay. True. There you go. So, uh, you know what, Paul? You gave me you gave me a tidbit of positivity. The kid, and listen, the Jeff fans, hear me out. You know how I feel about Chris Herndon. He might stink this year, but at least he's putting the work in, which is what you sure. want to hear. What else? What else can he do? What else can he do? Yeah. You know. That's now, is there any is there any surprises coming out of OTAs out of camp? Any nuggets? Any players to you? Maybe not on the average Jeff fans' radar that stood out to you. There's several players, so we've already talked about some of them. So I won't, I won't beat the things that I think a lot of you guys already know. So we talked about, you know, Keelan Cole has been a guy that's obviously has popped. Um, you know, obviously Elijah Moore has, has lit the world on fire, and quite frankly, he should as a really high draft pick and a guy that should have been a first round pick and wasn't. You know, a guy that quite frankly could be able to do something. I'll give you a name that I don't even know if you're going to be like, is that guy even really on the roster? Like, I, I'm going to say a name that you're going to be like, what? Who? And that's JT Hassel. Now, again, you're going to be like, who? This is a guy that's looked like Ed Reed in practice. And, uh, again, that's crazy expectations. He's a guy that picked off uh, Zach Wilson a couple of times. Yeah. He's looked good. And then, of course, the opportunities, because Marcus May, up until mandatory minicamp, has been gone from a contract uh, situation. So May hasn't been there the entire time. So Hassel has had opportunities just kind of step up to the plate and make some things happen. He, to me, is pop. Now, I haven't heard a lot about it on social media, which I, I which I have found interesting, that despite some of the pops, people have just kind of brushed it over. To me, that's a position, while well, you got Joyner, it's kind of crowded. You got Joyner, you got Ashton Davis 
we don't really know what yeah. is going to happen with him. He's a super athletic player, but let's see how they use him. And then obviously you have May coming in. I think Hassel is a guy that's popped, and no one's talking about him. He's a guy that could be a surprise. Again, it's going to be hard to make the roster, but he's a guy that just had multiple interceptions throughout uh, voluntary awesome. OTAs and mandatory. So we're going to put you on the spot, Paul. Who is going to be the New York Jets offensive MVP this year in 2020? So many. Oh, man. I'm going to do it. I'm going to jump on it. I'm saying Elijah Moore, man. And while there's everyone else around him, I just think they're just going to use him. He's just going to have so many reps that he has to be the offensive MVP because they're going to use him in pop screens. They're going to yep. use him in bubble screens. He's going to jet sweep. Even a little bit at Ole Miss, he even used some straight up either wildcat or running back out of the backfield. He's just so versatile. And the, the fact of the matter is you no longer have Adam Gase trying to cook it up. Just get the ball in his hands. And any way you could do that, if he starts being really good and teams are like, oh, man, we got to figure it out, they get him the ball behind the line of scrimmage where you can't do anything. If you do, it's offsides. So I think they're just going to creatively use him all over the place. He's going to be the offensive MVP despite the rest of the talent around. And the Jets, we talked about it earlier, the Jets want to be a run-first football team. But because the corners suck, I think often the Jets are going to kind of have this line of separation and scoring where they're just going to say, screw it, we got to start chucking it around. And I think Elijah Moore will be the beneficiary of that. Wow. And Keith, do you agree with him? Nice. I mean, I just love hearing all this stuff. Um, I do. I mean, Elijah Moore, Mike, you know when we drafted him. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. told you. Um, yeah. I had, and I'm just, I think this kid's going to be day one, our best receiver and our best player on offense. I think Zach Wilson will end up being that guy, but it's going to take a little while. We know how it is with these NFL quarterbacks. I think Wilson will have a shot at being the offensive MVP just because I think there's a chance, like you said, our quarterbacks aren't great. Teams are going to be slinging it on us. So maybe this kid tossed the 25 touchdowns and gets around 4,000 yards as a rookie. I don't think that's that crazy. Mike, you've seen some fantasy projections. I'm sure, Paul, you've seen them too. That have him right around 4,000 yards or a little more. Sam Donald's never thrown. Sam Donald never threw for 4,000 or anywhere even close. So I think he has a chance. Him or Elijah Moore to me, though, I think you're – unless Michael Carter ascends, Mike, like you said, catches passes and runs the ball. But he's 5'9", 200. So I don't know if they're going to ride him like that enough um, to be the number one guy on offense. But Elijah Moore sounds good to me when it comes yeah. to defense. I don't think it's that hard of a decision on defense. I think it's just between two guys. But I want to hear a pause to say, end of the year, who do you think is going to be the defensive MVP, the best defensive player on the squad? Yeah, I'll mention the guys, and I'll just pick the guy to the bunch. I think C.J. Mosley is the dark horse for this, and I think he's the one that we all want wow. it to be. We all want C.J. Mosley after this two-year hiatus to throw all these expectations and try to see what he can do. So he's the dark horse. I think the more clear choice is like Quinn and Williams. I think him. He had the pop last year. Let's make wow. the next step, and he will ultimately be my pick. And don't rule out Marcus May, who's more motivated than ever in a franchise tag year. We'll see if the deal comes. We've got two weeks to figure out if they can negotiate a long-term deal. I'm not quite sure if they're going to be able to get there. I think if it's going to happen, by the way, just a Marcus May nugget for you guys, if it's the deal's going to happen, it's going to be Muhammad Wilkerson-esque. If you guys remember, back in the day, it went all the way to the tag deadline, and then last second, we thought it went past, the deal didn't happen, and then boom, the deal came across and yep. got negotiated. So yeah. Keep an eye out for that. If it happens, I believe it's going to be like a buzzer beater kind of deal, and all of us will kind of talk about it at that point in two weeks. So yep. if it's I, going to happen, it'll be right I, there. I don't think it's going to happen I, early. I hope we get him. I agree with you. I think the defensive MVP, I think the defensive MVP is going to be Quinn Williams. I think this defensive line is going to be tremendous, and I think Quinn Williams is going to get unlocked. I think Lawson's going to be great too, but I think Quinn Williams is going to take it to the next level. And um, at my breakout player of the year, Okay, my and, and and it's not a player that people are going to agree with. They're not gonna, you know, they're gonna be like, "Wait, what are you talking about?" I think it's Braxton Berrios, um, and I only Whoa. say that I say that because of what I have seen 
in minicamp and OTAs. And I, I am a relationship person. Okay. I see value when I see the intangibles that don't really make sense. And you're like, Whoa, where is that? Zach Wilson and Berrios are close. Like they're cool. Like they go out together. You see them on constantly on TikTok, Twitter, all that stuff. And, and, and what I was reading in camp that, yeah, Corey Davis wasn't playing. Yes. You know, we know that the, where I receive but him and Berrios were hooking up all over the place. And Berrios comes from new England. You saw last year, Sam Darnold, some of the times when he was getting it under and being able, I think that, I don't know if he's going to be a starter for us. When I say breakout, I mean, right now, who's Braxton Berrios at the end, everyone's going to know who Braxton Berrios is. Wow. Love Mike, that. I like that. I like that ball take right there, Mike. You know, when it comes to defense, you guys hit the nail on the head. Quinnen, uh, Mosley is just, he never even gets spoken about. I mean, I understand. It's basically like he's been absent for two entire seasons. You know, he played one half where he was the greatest linebacker we've had in our team in 30 years, that one half. And then he just disappeared off the face of the earth. And it's as if he's it's as if he's like 35 years old to everyone. He's only 28 years old. One of the best middle linebackers in the league. Kind of gets lost in the shuffle here. When everyone talks about defense in big picture, we bring up Lawson, we bring up Q, we bring up the whole cornerback and stuff like that. He does get lost in the mix. I love that. But and then if Lawson, if Carl Lawson, you you alluded to this earlier, Paul. If Carl Lawson reaches his full potential, if five sacks, now a lot of sacks are circumstantial. You know how this works, right? Um, if you pressure the quarterback enough as he does, right, you can turn five sacks into 15 pretty easily. I'm not saying it's easy to sack the quarterback. That's not what I mean. I just mean he's the type of player that puts himself in position so often to get a sack, get a QB pressure. And maybe now with the Jets, with Quinnen, causing problems in the middle. We've had a defensive line. The whole defensive line is pretty good on the squad. We also have Mosley in the middle. Um, I think he's going to have the best platform to showcase his skills. And I don't, that's not, not that I'm going out on a limb, but I think at the end of the year, man, he's going to be the defensive player of the year. I think Carl Ross is going to get 12, 13 sacks and cause the type of problems Jet fans have not seen anyone cause on the field in decades. You know, we, I don't even – like I said, John Abraham, I, I guess Calvin Pace did get some sacks, but I don't think he was really feared by other teams. They weren't scheming around Calvin Pace. Uh, John Abraham, though, was a force. And I only we don't even know – I don't even remember what it's like to look on the – watch the game. You watch the old quarterback drop back into the team. And I remember being younger and being like, all right, where is Abraham at? You want to see him because he's probably going to get close or get near this guy. You know, I forgot what that's like, guys. So and I'm who's your, and who's your breakout, Keith? <laughs> you know, I don't have a sleeper when it comes to a breakout, Mike, that right now that I think is going to just shoot through the roof. But I think the most improved player from last year to this year, and this, this might sound, I'm not really going on a limb, like I said before, is going to be Becton because I think Becton, when he's healthy, plays the whole season, he's going to be in the Pro Bowl this year. Last year, he missed three games. Also, two of the games, you remember, he didn't technically miss them, but he didn't play the whole game. He basically missed five games last year. He only really played 11 games. So I think this year, and I know injury has been a concern, plantar fasciitis, all this stuff. I think by the time the year starts, this kid's going to play 16 games. I think when the smoke clears into this year, people are going to be talking about him as one of the best left tackles, left tackles in the NFL. Obviously, we know his rookie year. He was dominant at times last year. I'm not saying he was dominant the whole year. I think we overemphasize that sometimes because he's so enormous, and we just were so excited to get him. But he had games where he was dominant as a rookie. His first game, his first game he played, he was, did pretty good against the Bills. And his technique, everyone questioned and stuff. He's so big. And his technique was tremendous. From all the experts that I heard, they'll know his technique's fine. You know, his, his work ethic is fine. So, Mike, I know it's not necessarily a guy out of nowhere um, that's going to that's gonna pop up, but I do think the most improved player in, in, is going to be Makai Beck. No, that's good. That's a good one. What about you, Paul? All right. I'm going to cheat by saying two, because if I could on a doctor's table, yin-yang, mash them together, I'd be like, oh, perfect. That's my guy. 
But I'm going to go to that weak side linebacker. I think Hamza Nasserladeen and Jamie and Sherwood are going to be the breakout players because there's no clear answer there at the wheel. Right now, if I had to, if a gun was to my head, they said, who's the starter? I'm like, Blake Catchman. <laughs> I don't feel great about it, but I'm like, yeah. that's the answer I would say. And, and he's another guy's injury prone. But I think like the snap percentages, because they do different things. Like, that's why I say yin to yang. I think Hamza is this athletic, rangy guy. Again, both are DBs that are moving down to linebacker to be at that weak side like he's rangy he's the guy that's kind of a matchup player on tight ends or wide receivers or who that's going to be and jamie and sherwood is a heat-seeking missile that is looking to to hit you so hard that your grandkids feel it so i think those two when you look at snap percentages it may be a 33 33 33 between cashman sherwood and hamsa and then we'll see how that evolves throughout the season but they're just again they each have special set of skills and robert sala is a linebacker whisperer he's the one who created fred Warner. So if I could trust anyone with linebacker development, he's the guy. And the other guy is, is, uh, is a guy we mentioned briefly at the top simply because he was first Jared Davis. Jeff Ulbrich has a hard on for Jared Davis. He's like, oh, Jared Davis is the long lost son I never had. And I don't even yeah. know if Ulbrich has kids, but that's yeah. a son that he wants. And they no. keep bringing him up. But he, if I had to give an answer to this, it's Hamza and Jamie. And I, I think they're going to have a huge role this year. He, love and that's a, I love that, uh, Keith. The, the point he said about Jared Davis, if you look at all of the free agents that we've got, usually um, JD gets players at their mark or just, you know, he gets a deal on them. Usually. Yeah. Look at what JD. He it's actually, the over, he thing actually all over again. Yeah, I'm getting yep. those kind of vibes. He, the guy yep. that everyone said, oh, who? And then George Fant was pretty solid. Jared yep. Davis, again, a guy we're going, oh, Jared Davis? He may be that George Fantish kind of impact at linebacker. He, he overpaid for Jared Davis, Keith, just based on market value. Sure. And, yeah. and he did that because Salah wanted him. Yes. That should be a signal. He want he wanted Definitely. Jared Davis. That's who he wanted. Now let's see what happens. So you, th- those are two, I think, really great candidates. Both Keith and I think the Jets are going to get seven wins this year. What about you? Wow, guys, you're a little bit low, baby. A little bit low. I'm telling you. Now we mentioned playoff. You mentioned playoffs earlier, and everyone was like, "We raised our eyebrows, like kind of playoff power." I'm <laughs> saying that's a to do the other day. But I'll tell you this: if it's going to happen, let me just set the picture for a second. Okay, all of a sudden there's seven playoff teams on each side, and I don't know math well, but there's 16 teams on each side of the conference. So you're telling me uh, basically 48% of them make the playoffs? Again, I didn't tell you math would be a part of this show, but I, I don't know. Okay, so they got to be in the top half. All right. And then again, we have 17 games to work with. And look at the quarterbacks are playing. We could talk to me about strength of schedule and this or that. Look at the quarterbacks are playing. A couple of them are pretty good. Josh, I got to give the respect to the Bills. I thought he was going to suck in the NFL. And then he's been pretty good. Tom Brady. So did we. But oh. I think the Jets can make the playoffs. So I'm going, you guys say seven. I think the ceiling to me is 10. Give me that eight, nine range. Okay, okay. that's what I'm going. If you, if you put a gun, I'm saying I believe, and this is gross, we've got to get used to this. I think they have a nine and eight season. Again, I'm not used to that yet. Feels so I think weird. Nine and eight. And that's right on the doorstep. That could You could convince me that's a wild card. You could convince me that's not good enough. I think nine and eight, they're right on the precipice. Yeah, we, we went so far in on Josh Allen being a scrub that we just had to eat shit last year. And you know what? We had to man up and say we blew it. We yeah. thought he's so inaccurate. I'm like, nobody this inaccurate ever just turns it around. And uh, guess what? He did. So yeah, kudos. He was an MVP. Josh yeah, Allen was an tremendous. MVP guy last year. Yeah, amen. Yeah, yeah. yeah he was great. Um, and I, was, yeah, I think our strictest schedule right now is right in the middle of the pack. So, But if you look more at the QBs we play, and I mean, 
seven wins, I think me and Mike were being and any anything that was a 50-50, we just gave us a loss. You know, we were trying to be we were trying to be like, all right, let's be honest sure. about it. But seven wins, eight wins, nine wins, and a nine and eight season does seem weird. It's it just it's just weird now. Yeah. We have it we have it in our mind. It's like it's like when my friend told me with their kids, math is different now. Two plus two is not four anymore. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, no, it's a real thing in school. They teach kids different stuff. I'm like, no, math is math. Yeah. They change it on us. Can we get a win in the first quarter of the season? Can we just win in September? Finally, you know, it's been before COVID since we had a win before September. I mean, my How about that first game. How about that first game in Carolina, Mike? Oh, How about man. that first game in Carolina, boy? Are you serious right now? Oh my! God. Now I know, I know. When Boy Green oh, wow. saw the when he saw the schedule come out, and you yeah. saw Carolina <laughs> Week One. I mean, it just doesn't get me. You know, the NFL wants the drama the whole night. It doesn't get any better than this. Right, let's just. Let's just throw Wilson into the fire right away. No buffer game. Don't throw us the Browns week one or maybe a home game versus a division opponent. No. Going on the road. You're playing Sam Darnold, the guy who just pieced out of here. I mean, were you surprised by that at all? Were you like, yep, that's the NFL? Yeah, the NFL schedule makers. Those guys are sick bastards, aren't they? So, uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't think, because I'm going to be honest, if it was week one, my prediction was Monday Night Football. They normally have the doubleheader. I'm like, you know, and I get the Jets are coming off a 2-14 year, but if you're going to get away with having the Jets on primetime early, you know, whether it's number one pick versus number two pick, I thought Jets-Jaguars would be an early season game, a week two Monday Night Football game or something, or Jets-Panthers. So, yeah, it's right in the – and what a tone that's going to set. Because if the Jets look great and Zach Wilson lights it up and Sam Darnold looks like an idiot, we're going to be like – we're going to – I don't even know if you're going to be able to control the hype train that that is. Although on the other side, and I'm an optimistic guy, I don't like even looking at this, but the other side, Sam Darnold lights it up and Zach Wilson struggles and we lose. It's going to be like, yeah, boy. Even though, again, it's one game. But yeah. All of us are going to overreact one way or another based on what that goes. But to your point, right, the 0-7 and then the like 0-13 or 0-14, whatever they were, early games, so we're not out of it by September 28th. Like, ah, it's over. Like, yeah. I'd rather just be in it, man. Competitive game's going to go a long way. That, but yeah, last last year, uh, Keith and I, you know, because we try to make it fun, you know, like sure. it's, it's we're, we're, we're hurting inside. So we just started posting our shows like we had we had Sam Darnold, Adam Gase on the Titanic. And then then when they went into worse, we had Oblivion. You remember when uh, Tom Cruise movie? Tom Cruise (laughs) in Oblivion. (laughs) Yeah, we had a we had a lot of good ones. Nightmare on Elm Street. We we had Nightmare on Elm Street. We threw Gase's face on there. Um, Anything I can come up with, I'm like, let me keep the fans at least get a smile before they hit play because we're we're all in this together. We know the team stinks. Oh, you never seen the movie The Descent? (laughs) Remember the descent? We, we good horror movie. Yeah, <laughs> dude, that was fun. That was fun too. And you know what else, man? Jet fans, you look at it, guys. Two th- not last year we had no fans in the building. The year before, we lose all these games at the beginning of the year. The year was torturous. I know we went seven nine, but it felt like we weren't in it the whole year. Still number two in attendance in the NFL world. Do you understand this? Do you understand that another team plays in the same building as us with the legacy of four Super Bowls all that, and we still get more fans than you? We're the worst you could ever be. When we're eight years not in the playoffs at that point, right? Now it's nine or ten or whatever the hell it was. And we're still filling that building up. I don't give a shit when people say, oh, fans of other teams buy the game, buy the tickets too. That happens in every single NFL stadium. Only with the Jets, though, do they throw that at us when we talk about attendance. I'm sorry, I had to go on that little rant right there. Because we have been in the trenches, all of us, riding or dying forever. And we just deserve success, okay? I'm not trying to be that guy. I'm not trying to say fans necessarily deserve anything. But the Jets fans... People our age that have been going through this, through the 80s, we can't buying all those bums, the 90s with Rich Kotite, 
finally we write the ship. We, we make the playoffs with all these different coaches, but always come up short. We go through everything with Rex, in the bowls, in the gates. We need some success. Give it to us. Desperately. All right, guys. That's it for this week. Paul Esden Jr., Boy Green, came in, stepped up to the plate. Hit a home run like we expected. Paul, if anyone does want to get at you, support you, know about you and your world and everything you're doing, why don't you let them know where they can do that? Absolutely. I make it easy. At Boy Green 25, B O Y, Green the Color 25, <laughs> everywhere, Facebook, Twitter. Now, uh, first off today, verified for the first time on Twitter. So, oh, a little hell yes. check. I'm official, man. I'm officially official. I'm a big deal. So, make sure you <laughs> hit that follow button. So, at Boy Green 25, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and also where you guys can find the uh, interview that uh, you guys were talking about earlier, where I interviewed Sam Fortier of the Washington Post. He talked about Morgan Moses. He's the guy who broke the story. Not Adam Schefter, not Ian Rappaport, some guy named Sam Fortier. Who the hell's that? Go find out. YouTube.com slash BoyGreen25. All the details on Morgan Moses to the Jets. Inside stuff. And congratulations awesome, and congratulations on your 50,000 downloads. 50, That's amazing. 000. What an unbelievable number. So uh, thanks to the fans, all the diehard Jet fans out there. Again, most of it has been misery. I started this podcast podcast in the doldrums when we were terrible uh there in the what was it it was shortly after the afc championship game so it was probably 2012 2013 somewhere in there where it was god awful so yeah so it's it's been all nonsense but i gotta be honest so pray uh, praise to the fans that somehow 50,000 people at one way or another click that download button again humbled i can't believe it when i saw the i wasn't even looking for it i just saw the number went oh shit 50,000 wow and then I just yeah. thought about, wow, 50,000. So uh, thank you so much for the shout out. I appreciate that. That's true. That's true, man. We Anytime anyone takes time out of their life and their busy schedule to support you, Paul, and listen to you, to support us, Mike, listen to us, man, it's always appreciated. Mike, why don't you let the world know where they could find AEBG? Absolutely. And actually, we just hit a milestone, too. We just went over 1,500 listens for a show where I think we're at 1,800 a couple of shows ago. That's so awesome. AEBG, you know, we, we started right when Sam got drafted essentially oh, okay. and who knew we would be going right. into the into the Taking lowest the depths of all time i thought we were coming up i said keith <laughs> let's start a podcast we we're going up man we went wait so anyway you want to reach us we're on facebook please follow us on facebook at aeb.jetsradio on twitter at aebg underscore nyj podcast and on instagram at jet AEBG. We're on YouTube. We are on all the type of different platforms. So we really appreciate it. Like us, subscribe, and get a listen to the Ain't Easy Being Green podcast. You heard the man on behalf of the biggest Jet fan in the state of Texas and Paul Esden Jr., Boy Green in the building. My name is Keith Fowl. Thank you for joining us, everybody. Peace out. <laughs>